Hello and welcome to episode three of the Story Podcast. I am Harris the Third. I'm here with my co-host Sammy Harvey. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm tired. I bet you're tired too. We've yeah. both been traveling around yeah. the world lately. Yeah, and Story is less than a month away now. It is crazy. Um, I think we're all a little bit stressed out, but mostly it's just like excited anticipation. Mm-hmm. Like we've been working so long, and it's all come together to create this like amazing two-day conference experience, but right. at the same time, we're looking at all the things that need to happen between now and the 29th, thinking, oh man, there's still a lot to do, So, but it's good. Oh, it's going to be yeah, incredible. Yeah, it's going to come together. It's going to happen. You've put in so much hard work. Like It's going to be amazing. Indeed. I'm really looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, good, 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 good. And you just got back from Peru. Tell I us did. about that. Yeah, I just got back from Lima, Peru. My husband, Brandon, and I went there for about a week. We were there to visit our friends at Crochet Kids and uh, at their headquarters where they make a lot of their products. Um, so Crochet Kids is a company that helps empower people, specifically women who are coming out of poverty by giving them a new skill set. And so Crochet Kids makes these incredible like hand-knitted um, hats and scarves and gloves. And then they also just started recently making um, apparel. So like, yeah, I didn't know that. Like everyone stuff. is familiar with the hats. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's really cool. It's really cool. That's if awesome. you haven't like checked them out recently, you should go to their website, crochetkids.com or co. Anyways, you can Google it. But Google's it's with amazing. a K. It's right? with a K. It's with yeah. a K. So Crochet Kids with a K, Kids with a K. It has nothing to do with kids at all. Um, it's The company was started by um, these founders who um, started making these crocheted products, mm-hmm. and they were young at the time, and they donated the money or something like that. But they saw this need in the industry, in the fashion industry, where people weren't being compensated fairly for their work overseas, and they wanted to empower the people who were doing hard work by making these products so they started this company and it's pretty incredible they have locations in in uganda and now in peru so cool it's so needed i love that we need we need more stories like that where someone looks at an industry and says hey this is broken there's something wrong with this and what can we do to not just complain about it or whine about it but like we're going to jump in and be a part of the change that we want to see yes yes that's incredible and i think their story embodies the story gathering community so well. Absolutely. Um, And I just got back from Israel, which is crazy. So we've both been like in other places and trying (laughs) to figure out, we got to get together and record this next episode. Um, But I went with a group of like 20 something other storytellers, same kind of thing, just exposing ourselves to other people's stories and learning more about some new perspective and and you've been Israel, right? You've been before. Yeah. I went less than a year ago, this last February. It's, I feel like, it's impossible. Now that I know what I know about mm-hmm. what's going on in the Middle East, I feel like it's impossible to piece together the story of the Middle East just by the news headlines that we're fed here in America. It's yeah. so complex and It's so complex. No yeah. matter, I feel like, how long you study it, there's still be like pieces of information mm-hmm. missing. Yeah, it's- I remember we were sitting on this hillside uh, in northern Israel overlooking Syria. Um, and like while we're sitting on this hillside, you can hear the civil war in Syria mm. going on in the background and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's really heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And but it, at the same time, there's so much like hope to be seen though. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Incredible amount of hope. So incredible, incredible trip. Gosh. So your trip and my trip, um, and this episode, uh, with Cole Neesmith, it, all of it embodies so much of what we're doing as story. I love that. It's all so intertwined. It represents this idea of that, that stories matter. 
and that stories have the opportunity to restore order, help people reimagine the way things could be. We've been talking about that a lot lately, and that's why I'm so excited to sit down with Cole this week. He's an amazing guy. Yeah, I met him for the first time right before this interview. We're like, oh, hey, just sit down. Let's um, let's talk. <laughs> and um, I was so impressed um, yeah. with his ability to, it sounds like lead, like his community um, through tragic times. So he's from Orlando and he's really heavily involved in the arts community. And recently with um, the shooting, they've had a lot of heartbreak um, mm-hmm. in their community. And um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Like hearing him talk about it. Yeah. His story and some of the work that he's doing is, is needs to be, needs to be known by everyone in the story community. So we're excited to introduce him to you guys. If you're not aware of him already, um, here he is. Let's, let's roll this conversation with Cole Neesmith. So excited to be sitting down with my friend Cole. I'm here again with Sammy. How's it going, Sammy? It's going really well. Wow, we get to do this interview together again. I'm I so know. excited. I'm glad when yeah. our schedules line up. But Cole Nismith. I always want to oh, say your name like with fancy. this like fancy pronunciation. Yeah. Or you can just say Neesmith. Yeah, Neesmith. There's the, people, is that what some most people, people say? say Naismith, which is it's N E S. I don't know where you get mm-hmm. Naismith from, but it makes me think of the word naysayer, which you are not oh. at all. So like Naismith sounds Yeah. Like Here we are, Colney like Smith. Nismith. I'll just say it. Nismith. And I also have to sometimes put a deliberate space between Cole and Neesmith, or else people mm-hmm. think I'm saying Colney Smith. <laughs> and my name is Colney. <laughs> Colney Smith. Colney Smith. I love it. I love it. Well, we're super excited to be talking to you today. Uh, I think you are an amazing storyteller. I don't know Thanks. that you would even, would you consider yourself a storyteller? Sure. Yeah, I think everything that you're doing is a part of telling this yeah. really beautiful story. Um, and I guess most people refer to you as a creative director. That's like your technical yeah. job title, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, introduce us. How would you describe to the story community what you do? Yeah, I am the executive director of an arts nonprofit in Orlando, Florida called the Creative City Project. And uh we play a role in helping cultivate a thriving arts community in Orlando, uh, primarily right now through an annual arts event. It uh, takes place in the streets and public spaces of downtown Orlando, our next event's this October. And uh, we will have about 1,000 artists and probably about 20,000 people. We collaborate with Cirque du Soleil, Orlando Ballet, a couple different orchestras, tons of independent artists, and um, yeah, it's a really wonderful thing. We create unexpected uh, creative encounters that people can't have anywhere else. Hmm. So amazing. I mean, I'm super excited to hear your talk at, at Story 2016, yeah. but that's at the end of September. So yeah. how in the world did I talk you into giving a talk at Story if you have this thing coming up in October? Oh, hey, I'm happy to be there. But it's like, this is a ton <laughs> of work, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like it's the, a The numbers round. that you're saying, like tens of thousands of people involved, yeah. like that's crazy. It's mm-hmm. definitely a year-round pursuit. I mean, we uh, actually about a month ago um, submitted some grant applications for our October 2017 event. So it's about on an 18-month cycle. So we've been working on our October 2016 event since June of last year. 
Wow. Yeah. So tell us about some of the stuff you're excited about this year. That's what, give us a picture of some of the types of things where people will experience at the festival. Yeah. So, uh, one of our orchestras, we put on a series of several stages along the roadway and create an immersive orchestral experience where the audience can stand among the sections of the orchestra. Oh, wow. Um, so it's a hundred piece orchestra and the crowd is, is in amongst them. Mm, uh, yeah, it's really fun. Um, we have great, uh, partnership with Cirque du Soleil. They'll be uh, coming back this year with uh, one of their brand new acts at um, La Nuba, which is one of their shows. And it's a big steel beam that will hang from the end of a crane along the main thoroughfare through downtown Orlando. There'll be two acrobats performing from that big steel beam. And then uh, one of their singers will be singing live from a balcony on an office building nearby. Jeez. Wow. Um, we have a, an ensemble of contemporary uh, classical musicians, about um, 40 of them who are doing kind of a installation sound piece by a contemporary uh, composer named John Luther Adams. And the audience can experience it. It's, it takes place over 70 minutes, but the, uh, the audience is able to kind of experience it at their own pace. And the sound and the tones travel through the, the, or, uh, the musicians and the singers. And so it's all kinds of mu music, dance, um, installation, art. We do a lot of things where people can kind of enter in and interact. And uh, that's kind of the heartbeat of what we're doing. So yeah. we want to become a destination for people who are innovating in the performing and installation arts. Yeah. Gosh, it sounds so amazing. I want to come to it. I hope like, you really too. bad. Yeah. What's it? What's it? Well, you got a big thing coming up. Too. I know. But I know. your thing and, will be over. And my thing will be over and I can come just relax. come down on vacation. Yeah. yeah. But who vacations in Orlando? Oh, nobody. <laughs> I never have. Sure. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. But see, that's what's interesting to me because I, I remember when we first met, uh, we, it was backstage at Catalyst, right? Is where we yeah. first met. Yeah. We were both speaking. And I remember meeting you and you tell me about this thing. And I hesitate because I don't know if this seems offensive to people who, especially artists living and working in Orlando, but like Orlando is this amazing, magical place to me. But I think without thinking through it, there was this part of my brain that was like, of course there's amazing art and experiences and stories being told in Orlando, but like it's built somewhere else. Like it's all that stuff is created and dreamt up somewhere else. And then they like export it or put it on mm -hmm. a truck or like fly people in and then they just perform it in Orlando mm -hmm. for tourists. Yeah. And what I love about what you're doing is you're, you're talking about like these are local artists and storytellers that are actually doing something in their own city and yeah. all the creativity is taking place in your environment. Uh, yeah. Talk to well, us about that. Am I the only one that has that perception? No, of course perception? Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember doing an installation in California a few years ago. This guy walked through it, and he said, are you guys from around here? And I said, no, we're from Orlando. And he goes, Orlando. <laughs> so, I mean, I, it's, it's not an unusual experience for sure. But one of the missions of our organization, the Creative City Project, is to transform the way people around the globe perceive our city as one mm -hmm. known for innovation and creativity. And so what we're doing is um, not only creating meaningful experiences for our audience, which is both residents of and visitors to the city, but we're helping craft and shape and tell the story of our city. So what's really cool about Orlando, and one of the reasons I love living there, is there's a ton of white space on the canvas of who we are. And, you know, we've been known for the last 50 years or so as a place where people come from all over the world to experience our world-class uh, theme park attractions. Um, but at the same time, we haven't necessarily developed our own identity apart from that. And that is, that is definitely part of our identity. I don't think anybody who really even cares about our city would reject those themed entertainment experiences. For us, um, as the Creative City Project, they're a huge opportunity. So um, when we... 
when we rally our arts community, we recognize um, literally 66 million visitors come to Orlando every year, which is more than any other American city. Mm. And so we have more visitors in our city, in our backyard, um, every year than any other American city. And we can either choose to reject the story that's being told by large, what I would consider creative entities and say, oh, that's whatever. We, we don't want to have anything to do with that. Or we can see it as an opportunity. And um, so, you know, I one of the things that I've really been championing championing in our city over the last maybe six months is to rally our arts organizations to engage 1% of those 66 million visitors to become ticket buyers to one of our cultural or, art, or arts experiences annually. And it would radically transform the arts conversation that we're having in our city. And it would also radically transform the way people perceive and experience the story of who we are as a people. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so I would just assumed you were doing this little festival for locals, but like sitting here and listening to you talk, it's one, it's not at all a quote unquote little festival. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you're creating this for those millions of people that are coming to town as much as you are for locals in the city of Orlando. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. To change the perception of your city from the outside in almost. Yeah. So I think the easy, the, the easy explanation that I've come to give to people just for some points of reference are what Art Basel has been for Miami and the visual arts, what South by Southwest has been for pop music and Austin, or the Creative City Project would become for Orlando and the performing and installation arts. And what's true about South by Southwest and Art Basel is that they are first destinations for people who are innovating in those fields from around the world. So the, the best artists and the most prestigious galleries gather in Miami every year for Art Basel in Miami. And not only is it a destination for those people during the 10 days of Art Basel, but it has literally and radically for both of those cities, South by Southwest for Austin and Art Basel for Miami, has transformed the perpetual identity of both of those cities. And so you have Wynwood, which is a, one of the kind of outlying uh, suburbs, if you will, of Miami or one of the districts of Miami. And it used to be an industrial district with a bunch of warehouses. Today, if you go to Wynwood, you don't see a single wall that doesn't have a mural on it. And inside of all of those buildings in that once industrial area are now art galleries that are hosting prestigious shows and um, have, you know, there's Shepherd Ferry murals on the wall. And so there's been a significant transformation as a result of those kind of festivals that are uniquely tied to the identities of those places. And that's what we're doing is the Creative City Project. So right now, I mean, we do what we do and we host 20,000 people on a really small budget, you know, compared to those two, uh, two organizations. But this year will be our third kind of festival of substance. I mean, really, this is wow. year three for us and we're seeing an amazing growth, not only locally and from an artistic and attendance standpoint, but... We have a mural artist who's coming from Greece this year because he's heard about what we're doing. And we have a collective of uh, projection artists and musicians coming from Nashville. The Radial cons Conservatory are coming down to, to participate this year. And um, we had 22 ethnic or cultural performances at our event last year. And we continue to see that grow from kind of a global um, presentation experience. So yeah, it's very much 
um, built on the people of Orlando and is an expression of our culture, but it also continues to shape our culture as this particular event, the Creative City Project, annually becomes a destination for artists who are innovating in their fields from all over the world. I have a question. Yeah. How did this dream start? Oh, geez. Um, it, it started in 2012. Really, it, it was me looking around and addressing this very issue um, that Harris started out asking, which is like, this is what I think of Orlando. How, like, what, what's the story with totally, this? Yeah. And so um, it, it started kind of twofold. One, seeing a bunch of creative friends in my life um, who were part of our city and part of our creative community who were asking, like, can I truly make a living here doing what I do? Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I wanted to kind of platform those artists to let our city know the amazing creative things that are already happening there and to continue to cultivate a thriving creative culture in our city. Um, so really, you know, platforming our local artists and then addressing that second thing, which is like, what is the global per global perception that people have of who we are? And so for me, honestly, the, the primary motivating factor for starting a Creative City project was I want like to be able to keep my friends. So it was very personal. And um, so there's like some pie in the sky beauty of me saying like, we're a wonderful place and let us platform these artists. But really like the deep emotional part of me was like, my friends freaking keep moving to New York. Stop it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet there's a lot of people who are listening who probably are having a similar experience, maybe in smaller towns. What would be some advice that you would give to them? Hmm. Yeah. I, I have really become a big believer in the power of limitations. And I think a lot of creative people um, don't know where to start. And because the literally like the world is before us and as an American, no matter what kind of socioeconomic class you find yourself in, you have a lot of opportunity. And a lot of times that opportunity or the breadth of choice that we have um, is overwhelming and people get immobilized. Well, and the size of your dream, too. Yeah. I mean, like you're not doing anything small. This was a massive vision. Sure. So even that to me is overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think creativity can be overwhelming, whether you're in a big city or a smaller city. And so somebody who is in a smaller town, somebody who is wondering, like, well, how do I create, you know, community that is creative? And how do I do my thing where I am? The, the thing that prevents us from thriving creatively is our choice not to do so. Mm. <laughs> it's to embrace our limitations and say, regardless of my limitations, I'm going to step into whatever it is I can step into. And if three years after, you know, you know, developing my own creativity where I am, I determine that I've reached a ceiling, then let me launch out somewhere else, you know? But I think the, there, there are people that I know in my life who lived where, where I live and weren't thriving creatively and they moved to New York and they're still not thriving creatively because it wasn't yeah, about where the they lived. The place isn't going to fix yeah. that, yeah, you know? For yeah, sure. Totally. Austin Cleon has actually been uh, tweeting about that a lot lately yeah. and stirring up some controversy. I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, what he's this to say. Yeah, this idea, I think especially to young people where he's saying like, you know, everybody feels like they have to move to this creative like capital mm -hmm. like New York mm -hmm. or LA or Austin and, and he's saying like, the, the artists that he most admires are the people who go somewhere where there's nothing else and yeah. then just start something, you know, For sure. uh, that's been really inspiring to me. Um, it, 
so you're actually from Orlando. You didn't yeah. move to Orlando for work or... Yeah, after high school, I was born in Orlando, but after high school, I actually came to Nashville for a little while. I'm a musician, grew up a musician, and, sure. um, and then ended up going back to Orlando, and um, and then was in Atlanta for a little while, and went back to Orlando, and it wasn't happenstance. It was very um, intentional decisions both times, and both of my experiences in Nashville and Atlanta, where I still have a lot of great friends, and there's a lot of wonderful things happening in both of those places, but... But it reminded me, my experiences there reminded me how important community is. And um, I just had something really special where I live. And mm-hmm. it, Orlando is unique in that. Um, I, I I find myself surrounded by wonderful people who very much care about each other and they care about spending quality time with one another. And I think that's really important to me, um, quality time. And um, I just found myself kind of being the glue that held m- my friends, friend groups together in those other two cities, and I felt like I was fighting a battle that um, wasn't the bo- the battle I wanted to be fighting with. And I've actually, as I've continued to maintain relationships in both those cities, um, have seen over the last, gosh, it's probably a decade now, um, transformation culturally happen in both of those cities as well. And I really do see some really cool communities that are in both of those places. So, um, but I find myself now in Orlando and I mentioned before, there's just a lot of white space on the canvas there. And, you know, I, I, I chalk this up to just doing something and continuing to do it, but I can, kind of call city hall now and like have a meeting with people. It's pretty awesome. And um, I have really wonderful friendships with people there and government. I have very wonderful friendships with people who lead arts organizations and who are executive directors and artistic directors of some really fantastic arts organizations. And, um, and we're, we're like dreaming together and it's really, really cool. Yeah. Let's talk practical for a second because hearing, hearing you say that makes me go, okay, now you can call up city hall, but there was a time when you couldn't. Right. And so three months ago. (laughs) Yeah. So like Cirque du Soleil is on board. They're being supportive of what you're doing. You know, you have Disney and Universal there. Talk to all the people out there that are listening who are thinking, gosh, I wish I could like I could do amazing things if I could just call up City Hall Mm -hmm. or like if I could just get someone at Disney to return my phone calls. Give us give talk to them practically. Nuts and bolts on the ground. What are some of the things that you went through uh, as a creator to try to get this project off the ground? Well, we were really, um, I, I'm really thankful that um, we found a partner in Cirque du Soleil and it was because of their heart and their ethos of who they are as an artistic organization. Cirque du Soleil started as a group of people who still walked across Canada. And so at the core of who they are, the concept of like community festival is like, you know, part of that. Mm-hmm. And so on a whim, I knew no one there. That first year in 2012, I called their office and said, this is what we're doing. I very briefly cast the vision, and they said, okay. And so uh, they came and did a 30-minute original performance in front of City Hall, and it was it was like, okay, this little thing that we started is something. A couple thousand people showed up. It was during a lunch hour on a Friday. It was, you know, bright. The sun was shining outside. It wasn't like moodily lit. There wasn't a high production. It was just this thing that happened. And um, and it started with a lot of hard work. Like I, man, that first year that we did stuff in 2012, we did something every day during the month of October. And at, on October 31st, I was like, well, that was 
insane, and we won't do that again. So let's re- retool this thing. And then in 2013, it was like July, and I, I said to myself, are we going to do this again, or was that like a one-time thing? Hmm. And just was like, got, on, got online, went to our WordPress like back-end CMS, and was like, okay, Creative City Project 2013, here we go again, and just like redid the website one night and kind of pushed the gas again, and um, worked from July to... to um, to October to, to make it happen. And then um, in 2014, it was kind of like, okay, we did this in 2013. We're going to do this again. So let's start planning a little bit early. And 2014 and 15 were like so stressful. Last year on in August, less than 60 days out from the event, we were about $75,000 short of our budget. And I sat in a park with a friend and said, I don't know if we should do this. I think maybe we should cancel it. I was waking up every morning like an hour before my alarm and was full of anxiety and felt the weight of like hundreds of artists and all these people who were going to show up. And now, so the ability to call City Hall in one way is really awesome, but in another way, it's like, okay, there's a new level of pressure here. And uh, and so 60 days out from last year's Creative City Project, I was thinking maybe we should cancel this. And I said it to two people and was very serious about it. And for some reason, our team just decided, all right, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And we made our budget by October 17th, and which was our last year's event, and we did it. And we were in a better financial place in November of 2015 for our event in 2016, 15 months out or 11 months out or however many months that is, mm-hmm. then we were less than two months out for our 2015 event. And so if had we not pushed through and done that thing and endured all that stress and said, all right, well, let's do this, and we would have canceled 2015, it probably would have ended our organization. But because we did our event in 2015 and it was so successful, less than a month later, just two weeks later, we were in a better financial place for this year's event more than almost a year out. Wow. Yeah. That's so inspiring, man. There's, I'm like, I, just sitting and listening to you tell the story, I just relate to so many parts of my own story where I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember I wanted to quit and thought it was yeah. crazy. And then you get to the other side and you're like, why would I have quit? That would have been horrible. Mm. And you get to the other side and you're like, of course, this is the way it was mm. going to work out, right? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, the thing that I've learned is like, nothing that is important is ever easy. It's never easy. It's going to be really, really hard. And you're, I was, I just, talk to Jeremy Coward and I asked him like give me a percentage of time spent doing that thing that like embodies the quote-unquote life of an artist that everybody thinks about that creative time and then a percent of time that's spent doing something else he's like yeah it's probably five percent and 95 percent yeah and so true about every creative endeavor I've ever done it's about the 95 percent of stuff that I do when nobody's looking and that I honestly sometimes hate (laughs) <laughs> but it'll it, it allows me to do the five percent, and yeah. we're we're transforming the global perception of a city. And so for me, the ninety five percent, although it doesn't always feel like it, when I look at the big picture, is worth it. Yeah, what's interesting is when I when I first met you, um, this is what we talked about, and then later there was like this surprise, and it was like um, I was like, yeah, dude, I just met this really cool guy named Cole. He's doing this thing, this big festival in Orlando. It sounds incredible. And you're like learning about it. And they're like, yeah, it's crazy. He's like 
a pastor at a church or something like that, right? And then I was like, whoa, you like you work at a church? Like this is, yeah. it just seems so foreign. Yeah. And then, you know, even on the way in, then later I had a chance to talk to you and um, like you're on staff at a church, but you wouldn't call yourself a pastor. You want to comment on that a little bit? Well, first let me just say this challenging statement maybe. And if somebody's part of the church or is on staff at a church and they're listening to this, like I've seen more cultural transformation in the last two years working with our arts community than I've seen in the last decade working with the church. And so there's a radical conversation we need to be having. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I mean, I was the, the lead, the leader of a church. Um, <laughs> I, like, for the last... I like how we just transitioned right out of that. So now that I dropped that bomb, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, just so <laughs> you guys know, his mic just dropped on the table after he said that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I led a church a tr- through a transition from being a ministry and a, another church in Orlando launched us out and um, we're called City Beautiful Church. And I, I spent um, the first couple years kind of leading that church alone. And then a couple of years ago, my friend Ryan came and he helped lead that alongside of me. And we were leading that together. And at the beginning of 20, um, 2016, I committed my year to beauty. And I said, I want to like pursue and experience moments of beauty. And I want to create moments of beauty for other people. And that was kind of like this seed that began germinating in my heart. That's led me to a place where in April I went part-time at our church and I stepped back from a lot of the organizational stuff I was doing, and I said, all right, I'm going to focus on creative stuff here. I'm going to go part-time here, and it's going to force me to put some more weight on these other things that I'm doing outside of, um, outside of my church life because it's really easy to treat those things as peripheral when I'm getting paid a full-time salary there. And so I made space for that. I, I kind of like shifted my, my role there to something that I felt like fit my heart a little bit better and... Um, I love it. I'm really thankful for it. I'm thankful to be part of a community of people who have been so supportive in that transition. And then even from a pastoral perspective, like when I, I was the creative director before I stepped into the pastor role. So this transformation or this transition for me in April was actually kind of back to what I was doing before. And stepping into that pastor role was like the, the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life because well, what I learned through it is like, I'm not a pastor. Um, you know, a pastor is someone who gets energized by sitting across the table from someone and listening to them talk about their stuff. And I mean, in kind of rel- religious language, I'm far more like apostolic. It's like, hey, here's your problem. Here's the picture down the road. And here's <laughs> yeah. what you need to change in order to get to the picture down the road. Like, yeah. Why don't you see yeah. that? And why isn't that easy for you? Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, I love the opportunity to walk alongside of people who are really close to me in my life and share that journey with them and, and to be able to share my journey with them as well. And, but for the stranger, like mm-hmm. the, the, the person I'm not really close with, um, I just don't have that heart. And I think it's okay for me to know that and sure. to acknowledge it and recognize it. And, you know, I think um, there was a lot of grace on my life to like learn how to be more patient and learn how to, to just be more gentle. And it's taught me things for my life in general, but um, at the same time, it was like a practice in sure. putting myself in other shoes as opposed to continuing to like walk on in the shoes that were decidedly mine. Yeah. I just, I just find it interesting because you know, it just seems so surprising. Like in a way it feels surprising to me. Like you're doing this cool stuff through all these different amazing organizations and does it ever happen? People find out it's like, 
wait a second, Cole works at a church? Like, yeah. is that weird to people? Or is it, Yeah. I, like, it, help, me, help me understand that tension think, a little bit. I'm, most, I'm not even sure I'm asking the question in, no, it's a, great. in the best way. I know exactly what you're asking. Um, I think most people know now, um, but we're four years into this journey. And um, partly because of my own insecurities, but also partly because of um, the stigma of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be somebody especially who works at a church. Um, I, it's not something I led with for sure. And it's one thing in kind of the arts world, more organizational arts world, but I'm also an actor and you know, I, I show up, I, I'm cast in a show. I show up, the cast is in the room for the first time together. There's a dozen, 15, 20 people there and everybody's getting to know each other. And there's the question like, okay, you're here acting, but like, what else do you do? And, um, you know, for a long time, I, I rarely ever said, oh, I work at a church. Like, that's that's what I do. Um, and, yeah, again, part of that was my own insecurities. But also part of it is, like, me recognizing the beauty of who our church is and um, some of the things that I think we're doing that are a little bit um, more exploratory and give... Um, space and freedom to the outsider and I think in a lot of ways values Jesus message um, to say care for the outsider and care for the alien and care for the um, the downtrodden and like we care about that stuff mm -hmm. and um, we we ha we make space for conversations in our church um, we don't exist primarily to tell you something. We exist to help you ask questions and explore. And um, so, yeah, it's complicated for sure. Yeah. And it, yeah, it plays to some of my biggest insecurities. That is, uh, in many ways, it's that approach has led to some really interesting opportunities for you. You know, and I think that's that's why I wanted to ask about that. Is I feel like it's a good transition to some of the projects that you've recently had a chance to be involved mm -hmm. with. That. I think so many people across America, um, uh, they shouldn't be, but they're like surprised to hear like, Oh, he's on the staff at a church and he's involved in this. Like what's happening. They don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the cool opportunities you've had lately. Um, yeah. cause the, you know, the shooting at Pulse nightclub took America, um, obviously by surprise it captured yeah. the attention of our nation and people were just trying to figure out how do we respond to this? Cause there's not an easy solution to mm -hmm. keep this kind of thing from happening. Right. And maybe it is easy. We just need to be way better at loving people. <laughs> I don't know. It's not uh, easy. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened? The city called you or did you step forward? Was this your idea? Tell us what happened. Yeah. So, um, that was happened June 12th. It was a Sunday morning. Um, early Sunday, like late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And um, I woke up to a couple text messages on my cell phone of like, maybe we should change what we're doing tonight at church. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And I, I, I read a few other text messages that had come in while I was still asleep. And um, so I was like, oh, obviously something happened. So I went on Facebook and I saw the news of what had gone on. And um, within the next half an hour, I got a call from the music director of the Orlando Philharmonic. Um, so I was having these conversations with my church community, but then very soon upon like everybody waking up Sunday morning, we were having conversations about, about it as an arts community as well. And um, I can't say the exact words that 
that music director said to me, but he essentially <laughs> said, what are we gonna do? And I didn't know. And all that afternoon, like all, a lot of our arts organization leaders were texting each other, asking that same question. And less than 24 hours later on Monday morning, there was a group of probably 30 arts organization leaders sitting in a room to, to ask, what are we gonna do to help our community walk through this? And uh, two weeks later, over the course of 16 days, we mobilized about 500 artists to um, put together something at our Performing Arts Center um, called Beautiful Together. And we branded it and we talked about the conversation, uh, the, the, the arc, the experience. We talked about what it was meant to be. And in some really beautiful ways, I had the opportunity to see the intersection of my role and my experience growing up in the church and then my role and experience more recently in our arts community kind of collide. And um, we, were, we were creating an experience for people, which is what I've done week after week after week for the last decade and a half of my life. And um, as a worship leader growing up in church, as a musician, the thing that I think that I'm best at and that isn't necessarily playing the music or singing the songs, it's asking what's going on in this room and what do I as a leader in this moment do about it? Um, how do I point it out and how do I help people journey through it? And the same thing was happening in our city. What's going on here? What are people experiencing? And so a smaller group of our arts organization leaders got together and, and said, hey, here are some compelling, uh, some compelling kind of creative moments. Here's an orchestral piece, here's a choir piece, here's a dance piece. And then working with Eric Jacobson, the music director of the Orlando Philharmonic, he and I together put together this journey and what Beautiful Together was and what we kind of pitched it as was um, a journey from mourning to hope. And so we acknowledged mourning and we, we chose artistic pieces that embodied that idea of mourning and we created this journey that slowly over time just brought light to our community. And so on um, the 28th of June, 16 days after the shooting, several thousand people gathered in our Performing Arts Center and saw 500 artists take them on this journey from mourning to hope and I think we all, as a community, for the first time in several weeks, just got to sit in a room together and take a breath. And it was really, really awesome. Afterward, I got down off the stage and um, the first person, the first three people I saw were people who work in the mayor's office, and one of those also being the mayor. And I thought afterward, I bet this is the first time that they've actually been to something or been in a place where they didn't have to like do something. Mm -hmm. And the next day I saw one of those same people and I said that to her and she said, yeah, it was the first time we just got to sit. And I think that was what was happening in the room as a whole. People just got to sit and take a breath and allow these beautiful artistic moments to take them on a journey. And we cried together and we laughed together and literally at the end, we held hands together and we um, embraced hope together. And it was really, really awesome. Man, I wish I could have been there. It Very sounds special. incredible. Yeah. yeah. So special. It, you, that night embodies so much of what story represents as a community. Um, 
uh, I catch myself saying this all the time. People are like, so like, should I get my boss to buy me a ticket so I can come? Like, well, is it worth inventing? Like, yeah, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to be more creative. You're going to do the best work you've ever done. But like, my hope is that you leave inspired to say, okay, while you're doing that by day, always look for opportunities for you to mm. make, allow yourself as a storyteller to play a role in shaping the way the world looks or offering hope when it's needed or making a difference in the life of someone else because our work can be meaningful and it can matter and it can make a difference and um, it's fun to work at a marketing or branding agency and tell a story for a brand that leads to them breaking sales records mm -hmm. uh, and that's great but like gosh it's so much more meaningful to while you're doing that to constantly ask yourself what role can I play in restoring order mm -hmm by helping people reimagine a different way. Yeah. And I feel like that's what that night was doing. Totally. So, man, what a, what a huge pleasure. It was so special. Like 60 arts organizations in two weeks coming together to present a 75-minute program. Like, I don't know if you've ever put anything together, but yeah. that doesn't happen, especially when Unreal. you're talking about 60 arts organizations. But what's cool about that is, like, thinking back through the rest of your story, as you told it to us, like, you were... Like, who knows? Maybe you did the festival all those years yeah. for no other reason than just to shape and prepare you and give you the experience needed to accomplish that because yeah. your city needed it so much. Yeah. Um, so I feel yeah. like that's something that we've seen with a lot of people that we've talked with on the show, that they started out doing one thing and then they've done another thing and it kind of changes. Uh, but then so ultimately true. their goal is using all those skill sets that they've acquired over time. That's so true. It's almost like the thing that we keep seeing among successful artists. And if you would have asked them, I think like, actually we did ask some of them. So like 20 years before that thing happened, if I would ask you what success looked like, they would have never said that thing. Mm -hmm. Like I bet if I talked to you five years ago and said, you know, what would you do that you would be most proud of? You wouldn't have even had like you wouldn't even have the perspective <laughs> to dream up. I want right. to, yeah. I want to take people on a journey from morning to hope because you didn't know there was going to be a need for morning yet. Yeah. And yet that's a part of your story. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, we always ask people a few quick questions, kind of a rapid fire kind of thing at the end uh, of these podcast episodes. But before we get there, um, I'm really curious what your favorite ride is or a theme park attraction in all of Orlando. Oh, Harris. There's so many answers. That's like, what's your favorite movie? And I always say, what genre? Yeah. But see, yeah. so there's a lot of creatives and producers, a lot of different people listening to this. And like some of them go, oh, it's this roller coaster and here's why. But the majority of them are able to say it's this because it's an experience and they, oh, yeah. they made me feel something because of the story that they told me. Yeah. And Orlando is great at that in general. So For sure. I'm, I'm like, I'm curious what your favorite oh ride gosh. is, but I'm more interested in hear the follow-up of like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, I'm just going to go with what came to my mind first. Sure. Um, and it may not be even the right answer, but, um, the safari at Disney's animal kingdom mm -hmm. is what came to mind first. And, I, for the last 10 years, have been dreaming to go to Africa, which I'm doing this October. Congratulations. Thank That's you. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm, and there I'm going on a five-day tented camping safari on the Maasai Mara, and we're going to the Bowindi Impenetrable Forest in Uganda and going on this gorilla trek, and it's like all this amazing stuff. But um, wow. I love the, the safari at the Animal Kingdom because, um, first of all, it's like really long. 
It's like an 18-minute ride. Yeah, so if you wait in the <laughs> dead heat of summer in line for four hours, it's not over in 30 seconds. Right, well, yeah. I, there, are, there are ways to avoid all of what you just said, which is a different podcast. So. <laughs> it's a podcast I want to listen yeah, to. <laughs> happy to. happy to talk to you about it. Um, but it, it tr- I think it's real. Like, those animals are real, and it's always going to be different. And... Mm there's a level of unpredict- unpredictability about it. Um, you know, I, there are probably a, at least a dozen attractions that I could ride through with you and say every word before it's said on the attraction. Um, and that's fine. I still go on them, you know, uh, because there is an experience there, but, um, that is the, the unknowingness of the safari is something I really love. And I just really love like, getting close to animals. I'm a nature lover. Um, I guess the second answer I'll give to is um, I love the Haunted Mansion at Magic Kingdom. And my favorite scene is uh, there's a scene where you are kind of like facing out over a two-story party, essentially. It's a birthday party, and there's these ghosts that are dancing, and there's these ghosts that appear and disappear at at a dinner table. And then there's two... uh, portraits that come to life and turn Mm -hmm. and like fire at each other and um one of the reasons i love it is because that um happened that that technology is from the 1920s and it's the same technology that everybody went nuts over a couple years ago when like oh my god tupac is like live (laughs) on stage at this music festival like that thing's been happening in the magic kingdom for the last 50 years (laughs) so it's this thing that still amazes people yeah but it's that technology was developed in the 1920s yeah and I love it so much that it still just like captures people's imagination like that yeah now I'm really confused because so, you basically said my favorite ride is this because it's real but my second favorite ride is this and it's totally fake yeah, yeah. oh of course <laughs> alright well let's gosh I have so many questions for you about Disney World I feel like you're like an insider and I just want to grill you but we, we gotta wrap this up we'll save that for episode number two alright here we go All Sammy right. hit him up alright okay so first question I'm nervous to ask you this because I feel oh. like you're going to... Um, it's going to turn into a 30-minute yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's your favorite book? Oh, uh, The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. Quit, very quickly. Is that quickly. right? Do you yeah, want very me to quickly. Talk why? I can talk correct, about it for a long correct time. Correct answer. So <laughs> with, within a couple of sentences, why? Um, well... I love traveling with friends. And I think one of the reasons I love traveling with friends is because of the picture that Ernest Hemingway paints and the sun also rises. I've been to Spain with a group of nine friends. And I think one of the reasons I assembled those nine friends to go to Spain is because of what he inspired in me in that book. And um, some of it is really decadent, but I think that there's like something alluring about just reading about that from time to time, even if it's not my life. And, um, they're, they're people without cares who are trying to navigate the difficulty of relationship in a, in a really beautiful place. Wow. All right. That, that'll be the subject of episode number three, because I want to hear more <laughs> about that, too. Yeah. Okay. Second question. What's something people don't know about you that you think is crazy? Crazy? Crazy. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think... 
So some people, I don't know if you see if you, if you see a picture, some people notice this. I have friends who have never noticed it or like notice it five years after us being friends. But my left eye is misshapen. I have a misshapen pupil in my left eye. Mm. When I was in kindergarten, it? my brother, yeah, brother, everyone would be cracking up if this were a video podcast right. because Sammy and I are both I leaning like across the table. Like you know her. <laughs> uh, when I was in kindergarten, I, I um, squirt my brother with the hose and he had a big old stick they threw right at me hit me Ooh. in the eye and got myself a new pupil oh man oh my. did you ever do that again to him probably <laughs> <laughs> okay third question what have you found to be your greatest source of inspiration especially when you're in a rut uh i f, f, f scott fitzgerald <laughs> um so we're back to literature i guess I but i love f scott Fitzgerald, my favorite writer. Yeah, same era as Hemingway. Um, same kind of thing. Most of it is very relational. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have this um, anthology of all of F. Scott Fitzgerald's short stories that hey, we're like the same right good. now. Yeah, I, I love it. I've been with this. Yeah. Um, if if I'm in a spot where I just need to be transported somewhere, that's the book I pick up. Beautiful. And then I usually put on either Dave Brubeck or Miles Davis behind it. I think this is the start of a very wonderful friendship between us. <laughs> I'm for it. My kind of person. I am hell glad I'm helping you make friends. Yeah, so, yeah. This, this is, is actually the first time I've the met story Cole, podcast so, yeah. brings people together. Good, yeah. Cole, thanks for being a friend yeah. of story. Thank I can't you. wait to hear your talk this year. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. talking with him i can't wait to hear his talk at story i know i yeah he's gonna be there yeah he's gonna tell this whole story at story of just what he's learned from leading this citywide event um and just some of the stuff he's been asked to do recently in light of the events in orlando it's Mm. gonna be absolutely incredible what's something that stood out to you in that interview so I love the part when he was talking about how he decides like what he's going to do. Like he asked that question, what is going on here? And then what do I do about it? Such a good question. It's amazing as I feel like that could be so helpful for someone who might feel stuck like in a weird mm-hmm. season, not sure like what the next thing is going to be. What if... Like, what if they, like, what if I just stopped and just looked around me and said, okay, what is going on? What do Mm -hmm. I care about? Where is there a missing need? How can I use my skill set to fulfill that need and, like, make the change that I am, like, so eager to see? Absolutely. There's there's probably people listening to this right now. They're listening to us talk and they're going, I know I have these creative talents. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what to do with them. And I love how Cole phrased that because he... I hate to oversimplify it, but like he made it sound that simple. Just asking, (laughs) okay, so you have these creative talents. Look around. What's going on here? What can I do about it? And figure out how those two things cross paths. How how does the the creative talents that you have as a storyteller cross paths with what the need is? And then just jump in. Right. Yeah, just just get started. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait to hear his talk. Um, What what was something that stood out to you? Just that same thing and and idea that he's he's here's a guy that is in a city like Orlando where most people would not think of as this creative epicenter of Mm -hmm. of the world. Um, and yet 
you know, a guy who's involved with this church who starts doing this citywide thing yeah. that people don't really know what it is, and it puts him in a position of leadership so that when a crisis like the the Pulse nightclub shooting happens, mm-hmm. they call him and said, hey, what are we going to do? And he's like, what do you mean, what are we going to do? And I just, I love how he's been put in a position of just leadership and mm-hmm. how he's taken the charge to lead the story over Lando and how he's using art and creativity and stories totally. to be a part of that. And I think that's like one of the most beautiful things that you can make for someone is space, like space to process, space to heal. That is completely like a creative talent to have. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Again, can't wait to hear from him that story. It's going to be incredible, uh, which by the way, we should offer people a discount code. If, if they're still listening Ooh. three episodes in, uh, so we recently had a price increase. If you missed out on that, this would be a good chance to save a hundred dollars. It's amazing. That's yeah. a really good deal. <laughs> it is a good deal. Free hundred dollars, hundred dollars off the cost of registration. We'll make that coupon code. What should we make the coupon code? Story podcast. podcast. The story, story podcast, podcast is absolutely awesome. Should that be the coupon code? <laughs> No, that's too long. We won't do that. Uh, just Let's just do story podcast. So if you go to storygathering.com, register between now and the next week, let's just say September 12th. So if you register using the coupon code storypodcast by September 12th, you will receive $100 off your registration and ticket price to Story 2016. Uh, and by the way, speaking of the podcast, it'd be really helpful if you guys are listening along and enjoying this, if you would leave a rating on iTunes or however you're listening to this podcast Um, that's not really just to make us feel good or to tell us, Hey, you guys are doing a good job. We appreciate that (laughs) encouragement. Uh, trust us, but that's more to help other people discover this podcast because the more ratings and reviews it receives on places like iTunes, the greater chance that someone else is going to discover this podcast and it might play a role in their story and the stories that they tell. Right. Yeah. Right. It really does help people find the show. Um, something else that Harris and I were talking about is we would love to hear if anyone has any suggestions for future guests, we are still looking for some more interviews for people. So if there's someone that you'd really think would be a good fit for the show, send us a tweet. Um, you can tweet either Harris or I or the story uh, gathering. Yeah, at story gathering. Yeah, at yeah. story gathering or use the hashtag story podcast. story podcast. Yeah, sure. That'll make sure we see it. Right. Yeah. So we'll see it and we'd love to hear some suggestions. Yeah. Obviously we'll be interviewing all of the story 2016 presenters. It's mm-hmm. an incredible lineup. So we've got some incredible episodes coming up over the course of the next couple of months. Um, but yeah, like Sammy said, if there's someone that you feel like Man, I'd love to hear from this person, or if there's a subject that you want us to tackle, we maybe we'll go find somebody who can have a conversation with us about that subject, mm, but I like that. Yeah. yeah, tweet us, email us, send us your suggestions, hashtag story podcast. Um, and you can, uh, you can just reply to at story gathering or Sammy or I, but thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we have loved doing this podcast. I can't believe we're on episode three. We're going strong. Feels like a real podcast now. It's a real podcast for sure. Yeah. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll see you next week.